the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. Wonderful to be with you. It's fascinating how you have this gigantic demonstration of Israel destroyers and America haters in front of the White House, and, and nothing is done. It's not even widely reported. Imagine if it were MAGA supporters in front of the United Nations. Excuse me, United States White House. Amazing correlate the UN and the White House. That's Freudian, if there ever was one. Well, of course, it's a, it's a, it's a non-event. It's domestic terrorists. MAGA, make America great again, Americans. They're the enemy. Not these vile people calling for the annihilation of a state called Israel. A state the size of New Jersey. The hatred of Israel is overwhelmingly because the Jews made something out of that desert. And the surrounding states made nothing. That's it. Syria. Oh, Iraq. Lebanon. Lebanon was going to be something, but then the Islamists took over. When it was half Christian, it... uh, was sort of uh, Shangri-La in the Arab world. It's where Arabs went to vacation to have a good time in a, in a freer society. But the Islamists took care of that and Hezbollah destroyed Lebanon. How many people know that? Nah, people don't know. If you want proof that the issue is that Israel's Jewish, here, here's the proof. There is zero interest and the, well, not zero, one, one percent. And from one to a hundred, there is about a one interest in the sufferings, even the deaths of fellow Arabs or fellow Muslims. And nobody talks about the creation of Pakistan. How's that for an esoteric bit of history happened at the same time as Israel, 1947, 1948? There was no country in the history of the world called Pakistan. It was part of India. Israel existed twice before in that exact area where it exists now, but Pakistan never existed. It was ripped out of India to make, guess what, a Muslim state. Now, let's talk a few figures here, okay? The, the number of 
of Palestinians, then known as Arabs, there was no term, the word Palestinian referred to Jews, actually, ironically. Guess how many Arabs died when Israel was made? And it was, they all died because the Arab countries invaded the brand new state of Israel. Guess how many? 10,000. Okay. And the number of refugees, about 700,000, exactly the same number as Jewish refugees from Arab countries. You don't hear about that either. So again, 10,000 Palestinians slash Arabs or Arabs slash Palestinians died when Israel was created. And about 700,000 refugees. Now, when Pakistan was created, which nobody talks about, what were the numbers? Let's see here. Okay, I'm looking for the exact. I want to be precise. So the number of deaths was between 1 and 2 million, not 10,000, as a result of the creation of Pakistan. Do you know how Bangladesh was created? Bangladesh was eastern Pakistan. Pakistan was in two very far away places, western Pakistan and eastern Pakistan. Eastern Pakistan, their ethnicity is Bengali, which is the state, the Bengal state of India in that area. They share ethnicity with the Bengals of India. They don't share religion. The Bengals of India are largely Hindu. The Bengals of Bangladesh are Muslim. The The amount of murder, I, I don't have that piece of data in front of me. I, I will supply that. But people, they don't even know, people don't even know about Pakistan and Bangladesh. Because the issue has nothing to do, the, the concern is not with Palestinians. Egypt doesn't want to take one Palestinian. Why doesn't Egypt take over Gaza? It did at one, one point. It doesn't want it. Jordan didn't want the Palestinians either. So they, they simply said, go, go, bye-bye. Massive attack on Palestinians because of the rupture. The Palestinians have a, a record of utter destruction. A mass amount of destruction in Lebanon, massive amount in Jordan, and a massive amount in Egypt. I don't know why. It's an interesting question. But that is the case. The whole thing is about destroying Israel. And part of the reason is theological. Contrary to the lies told, it was never a paradise for Jews under Islamic rule. At times, it was certainly better than under Christian rule. At times, that's correct. But it, it, it was a time of massive, and, and the word was used by the Muslims, humiliation of the dhimmi. Dhimmi were Christians and Jews. The non-dhimmi, non-Muslims, were largely killed. 
Uh, the ignorance. The left has created ignorant robots in the education system. Ami Horowitz was on my show yesterday. He went to Columbia University where there was a gigantic demonstration. Thousands, I think. He said 2,000. And I asked him, Does it look, what did it look like breakdown in terms of white and Middle Easterners? He said 50-50, which is probably true for the White House as well. When President Trump said, let's have a moratorium, he never said a, a full ban, but a moratorium on, uh, on immigration from Muslim countries, of course he's called Islamophobic, he's a hater, a bigot. Uh, he's, it, it was round-the-clock attacks on the president. But it's not, his argument had nothing to do with ethnicity. It had to do with values. We don't want to bring people into the society that don't share our values. Is the society not allowed to do that? England has not been transformed in this way. Sweden? Sweden essentially had no violent crime. Had no rapes. Does now. Because the liberal, the leftist, was thrilled about this. The liberal was just the usual naive. Naive and liberal are synonymous. The left wishes to destroy, and the liberal is naive about the left. That is the calamity in the United States. If liberals didn't look, look at Virginia yesterday. It's amazing to me. Amazing. Both houses of the state houses went uh, are Democrat. Because they do so much good for the country, the Democrats. The cities of the country are thriving under Democratic Party rule. The country is thriving under Democratic Party rule. These are all well-educated. No, that's a poor term. These are all well-indoctrinated people. Just remember Pakistan, okay? Why is Pakistan legitimate and Israel is not? That's a, that's a question that most people arguing pro-Palestinian positions would not even know what you are referring to. So teach them. I actually have an article on it from what year? 2015. From eight years ago, why is Pakistan more legitimate than Israel? Yeah, look it up. Gold dealers are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. What sets these companies apart and whom can you really trust? This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion. My choice for buying precious metals. When you buy precious metals, it's imperative that you buy from a trustworthy and transparent dealer that protects your best interests. So many companies use gimmicks to take advantage of inexperienced gold and silver buyers. Be cautious of brokers offering free gold and silver or brokers that want to sell you overpriced collectibles coins claiming they appreciate more than gold and silver. What about hidden commissions and huge markups? Nick Grovich and his team at AmFed 
always have your back. I trust this man. That's why I mentioned him by name. Nick's been in this industry over 42 years, and he's proud of providing transparency and fair pricing to build trusted relationships. If you're interested in buying or selling, call Nick Grovich and his team at AmFed Coin and Bullion, 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. I don't have a political molecule in my body. It's not, it's not a compliment to myself. It's just, you have to know yourself. Thank God there are people who really, really do care about the politics. I care about it because after all these people are in charge and they ruin society in half the cases... But the people who really know this stuff will be uh, on the Salem News Channel starting 5 p.m. Eastern today. I, I am the big picture man. This is what is happening to society. This is what is happening to the world. That's, that's my expertise, as it were. Every analysis I have read speaks about the Democrats' victories as being overwhelmingly because of abortion. Yeah, it's really something, isn't it? What a society. And presumably, disproportionately, the women's vote. Hmm. So much for those who say, oh, if women ran the world, it'd be a better place. Well, if you think that Democrats running states and cities is better, then you should be a big fan of women's politics. That's an honest analysis of what's happening. But I will say at the same time that people... Look, I put out the, I think, the most widely viewed pro-life video that was ever made my video on abortion for PragerU. The notion that there is no worth to the human fetus at any time of pregnancy is is so obviously immoral that it is painful that the case has to be made. For the pro-choice community, the human fetus is, is as worthless as rubbish certainly worth less than a dog or a cat or a squirrel. Having said that, it is clear that we are hurting every other cause that people who are worried about society care about. That's it. We should make, I've said this all along, we should make our arguments moral, not legal. Banning feels good, but it doesn't do much good. And it can do bad. Every place that Democrats run becomes a worse place in every single respect. There are many moral issues, not only abortion. 
And that's the story. They have increased their majority on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. How sad. You know how that how much that will hurt society in so many arenas? Where is this from Politico? Mm. Democrats expanded their majority on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, a potential sign of strength heading into 2024, and another win for a campaign centered on abortion rights. Democratic Superior Court Judge Daniel McCaffrey defeated Republican Montgomery County Court of Common Pleas Judge Carolyn Carluccio. The court has had a vacancy since the death of Democratic Chief Justice Max Baer last fall. With McCaffrey's win, Democrats returned to holding a 5-2 to two majority. Now that's interesting. Is five-sevenths of Pennsylvania left-wing? Of course not. So how does this happen? This is, a, this is not a rhetorical question. I, I, I wonder, how does it happen? Outside of Philadelphia, that's pretty much it. So, in, in effect, everybody in Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia could stay home. You, you don't matter in your state. This is true for many. I mean, outside of New York City, you don't matter in in New York State. Wow. Control of the court wasn't on the line this election, but Democrats invested heavily to ensure that Republicans didn't get closer to flipping the court in the coming years. The race could directly impact the 2024 presidential election. The court frequently handles election cases. See, that's why I say we can't die on the abortion sword. There's a lot, lot more uh, evil that can be done. Pennsylvania was one of many home-to-court challenges following the 2020 election spurred by former President Trump's lies. I love this, the lies. Does Politico ever have an article in which lies is used with regard to any Democrats? Are there any Democrat lies? As, for example, Russian collusion with the Trump campaign? Lockdowns are good for kids? Is that a lie? Yeah, it was a lie. I wonder if they even know it's a lie at Politico. Because they probably were among its purveyors. Well, major organizations like Planned Parenthood Votes and Every Town for Gun Safety Action Fund got involved in support of McCaffrey to warn about the abortion rights implications of the race. I'd like to see the actual numbers. I'm very curious. Mm -hmm. McCaffrey pledged to uphold access to legal abortion. He said, it's pretty clear from a personal standpoint that I believe those particular issues are best decided between a woman, her conscience, and her doctor. Wow, that's deep. Back in a moment. 
Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop at the pillow. Mike also created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. These sheets look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep, which is crucial for overall health. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's latest deal is the sale of the year for a limited time. You'll receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets, marking prices down as low as $29.98, depending on the size. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Podcasts Square, and use the promo code Prager. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and so much more. Call 800-761-6302 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager. Here's a story. There's a lot of stuff here. Let's see what you folks have to say. Mm-hmm. All right. Tom in Atlanta, Georgia. Hello. Dennis, can you hear me? I can, in fact. In my 22 minutes waiting to get on the air, and I certainly appreciate it i have gotten through a couple of times in uh, my listening years on different subjects and in different segments and the interesting thing is as i was sitting here because i have time today uh to pick up materials for my job site um my original thesis to your screener applies even more uh, to Pennsylvania and to the country at large as far as uh, voting uh, uh, voting habits. I am the youngest of six children in a large Italian family, my oldest sister being born in 1951. I was born in 1966, and I have five older sisters in between there. I proudly say, although it is just by a small margin, that I am not a baby boomer being born in 66 outside of the baby boomer. All right. So um, tell us your point now that we know your autobiography. My point is uh, what we're seeing in Pennsylvania and what we will probably continue to see until baby boomer voters is that the predominantly um, uh, uh, Caucasian uh, baby boomer voters will continue uh, to to vote the way they do. So the struggle is still ongoing, but is not surprising by any means. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it gets worse as it, as you get younger. The thoroughly indoctrinated. Young generation, forty-five percent of this generation. To give you an idea. Forty-five percent say that they don't believe in free speech for hate speech, which means they don't believe in free speech for what they differ with. That's what it really means. So they have been taught by their left-wing professors and teachers before they got to college 
that if they differ, anyone who differs with the left-wing position is a hater. Tell me a social position that differs with the left that is not declared hateful. Think about it. Name one. I'm trying. Let's see. On immigration, you're a xenophobe. Um, let's see. On the Islamic uh, ban, you are an Islamophobe. On abortion, you are a misogynist. On trans drugs for kids, you are a transphobe. I can't think of an issue where you differ with the left where you are not declared a hater. And by doing that, the young generation actually believes that all these people should not have free speech. That's pew in pew research. It's not a conservative opinion. It's it's the way it is. What is it also? Forty what what percentage of young people never heard of Auschwitz? And certainly not Gulag. Male Female Hour on the Dennis Prager Show, every Wednesday, the second hour. Most honest talk about men and women, of which I am aware, at least, in the American media. There are many reasons for that. A, I don't have any problem with any topic. And B, I'm not a man fan or a woman fan. I'm a good person fan, and it seems to be somewhat evenly distributed the number of miserable men and miserable women and good men and good women. The trouble is they don't always marry one another. If the miserable can find their marital choices to the miserable and the good to the good, there would be a lot, many more, more, there would be a lot more good marriages. Today's topic is an interesting one. Well, they're always interesting or I wouldn't use them, but I don't believe that I have addressed this one, and I don't even remember what raised it, but it is so big an issue that it will be interesting to discuss it with you. One of the reasons that a lot of men and women aren't getting married, that is not often discussed, but is a real factor when I speak to uh, the unmarried. And they're, they're not even always aware of this themselves, is the idea, maybe there's somebody better. That's what I want to discuss with you. Maybe there's somebody better. MTSB. It's the MTSB syndrome that a lot of people have. Maybe there's somebody better out there. And so they don't get married. 
So I'm curious, A, do you know this among some young people? And by young, I mean really anybody who has never been married or under, let's put it this way, under 40. I am a, I am a major proponent of singles using websites, using internet sites to try to meet someone. If you have a choice among 100,000 people versus a choice among five people at a bar, if you even have that choice, and what if you are not a bar frequenter, why wouldn't you think your odds are better meeting somebody if you can choose among tens of thousands than among literally the number of fingers on your hand. So I'm a big proponent. However, it causes a problem because since there is theoretical access to so many people, you have this gnawing feeling, this gnawing thought Maybe there's somebody better out there. I can go back to the app and maybe I'll find somebody better. There's somebody better. What did I say? TSMB? There's somebody... What what did that even stand for? Oh, thank you. MTSB. Maybe there's somebody better. Thank you. That's correct. It's It, it reminds me of LSMFT. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. Yeah. Bet you most of you never heard that one. Amazing the stuff that stays in your brain. What a strange person. MTSB. Maybe there's somebody better. 1-8 Prager 776. <laughs> uh, have, have, were you afflicted? Are you afflicted? I wonder how many married people, not just singles, think maybe there's somebody better. It's a, such an odd... It, it sounds rational, but it's really not rational. Maybe there is somebody better. Of course that's true. Maybe there is somebody better. By definition, given the word maybe, that's after all the operative word here, that I guess and better. I mean, in reality, maybe there is somebody better for you. However, as I have often thought, what if the somebody better is living in Andorra? It's a country between Spain and France. The chances of your meeting are slight. And here's the ultimate response to maybe there's somebody better. What if that person thinks maybe there's somebody better? There really might be somebody better than you. (laughs) There's another problem with maybe there's somebody better. What does somebody better mean? 
better in every way than the person you are currently seeing seriously or married to, for that matter? What does it mean? Better in every way? If you're afflicted with that belief, this is not a happy marriage. Or, or, yeah. Right. Yes. Well, he he made a point in my earphones that this fits into a theme of my happiness hours. It's funny because I said to my producer right before going on the air, this could easily be a happiness hour topic. Because maybe there's something, just change somebody to something better out there. And you realize how, what an affliction this is in one's pursuit of happiness. Maybe there's something, maybe there's just, and then fill it in. There's a better house out there. By the way, there is a better house out there. For 99% of Americans, and certainly 99% of humanity, there is definitely a better house out there. It's not a bad analogy because if you can't be happy with the house that you have, you'll never be happy. Because it is absolutely correct, there is a better house out there. It's not definite, by the way, that there is somebody better out there. What is true for a house is not necessarily true for a person. You may have, in fact, met the best person for you. Or, let's put it this way, over the course of time, this person may have become the best person for you. If you met that person in Andorra, uh, I'm not sure that everything would click. Oh, and of course... The ultimate rebuttal to the silliness of maybe there's somebody better out there is what if they think the same thing about you? And why wouldn't they? If you think it about him or her, why wouldn't she or he think that about you? And I do believe that this is a factor in why a lot of young people don't get married. Maybe there's somebody better out there. That's right. one eight prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. Very interested to get your reactions. Did this afflict you? Does it afflict you now? Back in a moment. Back to the male-female hour. Maybe there's somebody better. And, you know, I learned so much from callers. There is a uh, an acronym that says the same thing, and it is famous. But I'm going to let Paul in Woodland Hills, California tell it, because he's the one who has reminded me of it. I did hear of it. Hi there, Paul. Hi, Dennis. Thank you so much. Always great to speak with you. FOMO, fear of missing out. That is the real deal. That's the nomenclature everybody understands. Sean, have you heard of FOMO? Even Sean heard of it, and he's yes. he's cur- currently dating a platypus. 
Well, it's why Trader Joe's is successful. If you go to the grocery store, there's 23 different versions of mustard. If you go to Trader Joe's, you get three choices. And because of that, people can actually make a decision. And so with, with dating apps, you've got a thousand choices. Everybody is paralyzed by the amount of choices they have. So limit the choices and people can make decisions. That is interesting. You see, I I should do, I think many years ago, I did that on either a regular hour or a happiness hour. Are there too many choices at the supermarket? I love choice. I, if there really are 23 mustard brands, I love it. So here's the way I deal with it. I am happy to try all 23 and see which one I like the most. But I know how to make peace and joy if there's only one available. That's, that's I think, the way one has to approach this. If fear, what is it, fear of missing out? If fear of missing out or maybe there's somebody better paralyzes you, you end up with nothing. This is another great example of why I believe reason leads to a much happier and healthier life. In my life, I never remember asking, is there somebody better? It, first, I happen to think there isn't, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I I don't ask it because it's a stupid question. It's a question that can only make you miserable and in this case, make your marriage or relationship miserable. I don't like misery. I really, really prefer being happy. I know that sounds almost quaint. Who doesn't prefer being happy? <laughs> what? Listen to my... Happiness hour. People sabotage their happiness on a regular basis. But that's a, that's a perfect example. Maybe there's somebody better. Fear of missing out. Wow. Somebody better. Pick the damn mustard and enjoy it. That's my view. <laughs> It works. Okay, let's go. That that's a, that's a fair analogy. I'm telling you. Listen to this. is so great. This is a great topic. Carissa in Dallas. Hello. Hi, Dennis. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Thank you. Good. Um, so um, I'm now 38. I've been married for two years, very happily. Of course. <laughs> We're in our two-year state, you know. Um, my husband's actually seven years younger than me. And I think in the pursuit of dating, you know, I always, I was like, oh, this guy doesn't have this, that guy doesn't have that. You know, you're always seeking for who gives me all the things that I want. But, you know, I think marrying seven, somebody who's seven years younger than me, I mean, what, I think you would agree with me whenever I say, you know, women look for certain security check boxes, right? Like they have a great house. They have a great job. They're financially stable, right? Right. So, and my husband had 
none of those mean that, you know, because he's seven years younger than me, of course. But I was like, you know what? I found a man who loves God. He loves me with all his heart. He would do anything for me. And now, um, you know, we're on our way to buying our first house. But, you know, he's starting to fulfill some of those security checkboxes. It just took a little longer. So, Well, you, know. you, you saw in him the possibility, because I assume you saw a, a man with ambition. Yes, absolutely. That, yeah. Well, that, that that's what matters to women, because when people married much younger, which was a good idea, often the man did not have any proof of providing that security. But women, sure, would, yeah. in, women would intuit whether the man would one day do so. Yes. That's and I find a lot of, I'm a personal trainer. I work with a lot of, you know, younger girls that are, you know, anywhere from 25 to 35 and they can't find anybody. And, you know, they do want to be married, but, you know, I'm like, you know, sometimes you got to find somebody not who's just good enough, but really meets like your core values. I feel like, you know, like maybe they don't have it all together, but, you know. Well, yeah, I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in those kind of, with those conversations. I would like to know why they haven't found somebody. Part of it is, the truth is, good men don't grow on trees. I mean, well, Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, yeah, so I'm very happy for you. It was a delightful call. That's why women make this colossal error of delaying marriage. Well, I'm preoccupied with my career now. I'm preoccupied with finishing school now. That's stupid! Thank you. That really came out from the depths of my soul. That's really stupid. Hmm. Fear of missing out. That's actually more (laughs) absurd than maybe there's somebody better. We continue. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election story, Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. I'm Dennis Prager. I learned another one. There's another acronym. What is BBD? What was it again, Sean? Bigger, better deal. So is that applicable here too? Is that what people think? Yeah, so the male-female hour about thinking that maybe there's somebody better. And so you deprive yourself 
of marriage. See, you, you're not, there's a very, 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 very big mistake being made by so many young people. I asked them, do you want to get married? Do you know what the almost, I would say, 75% of the time, man or young man or young woman, you know what answer I get? Yeah, no, no, if the right person comes along. Oh, my God, is that the W-A wrong answer? So it means you're not really aching to get married. But if the right person comes along, maybe you should want to get married, and then a lot of people might be the right person. Statistically, the odds of your meeting in some metaphysical sense, the very best person for you on earth, is very slim. But a lot of people turn out to be the best person on earth for you. That's the point. So you have to want to get married, not merely wait for the right person to come around. That's a related subject. It's not the subject. The subject is FOMO, fear of missing out, or maybe there's somebody better. On to your calls. Let's see. Dan in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hello. Hello, Dennis. Pleasure to speak with you again. Thank you. My point was that a buddy of mine, when I back when I lived out in California about 30 years ago or so, I had a roommate, and he was pretty well-to-do. So he got to, you know, go in pretty big circles, run big circles. And he always had problem with women. He's always meet and date these attractive women, but it never lasted for him. And he said that they're all, he told me that they're just all looking for the BBD, the bigger, better deal. They would meet him to go to parties, and then they'd start flirting with his buddies. Yeah, oh, this afflicts both sexes. There's no question. Yeah. So, So did he ever get married? To this day, I'm pretty sure he's not married. And, uh... <laughs> You would know his family, but... Uh, right, so well, that's, uh, it's sad. That's right. That, that's why I said, please understand, dear friends, that if you think that way, or you know somebody who does, how do they know that the person that they finally do think is the best person for them isn't still looking for the best person for them? A bigger, better deal. And I'm not missing out. In the meantime, you're missing out on marriage and family. A man I still know told me, I would say probably 30 years ago, we were in his car in England. He's an American who was living in England at the time. And he uh, was a, uh, and still is, a religious uh, Orthodox bearded Jew. And we were talking about marriage in his car as he was driving on the wrong side of the road. And said, you know, Dennis, I have the, and he is very happy to the best of my knowledge, marriage, wonderful woman for, I would say now, wow, maybe 40 years. I I, I don't know. 
I'm sure they, he got married very young. And he said, you know, this is the way it works. In Western society, you fall in love and then you get married. And then often people get divorced. He said, in my culture, you get married and then you fall in love. And pretty much most of the people stay stay married. It's an interesting is it it was it, it was interesting because it really was the opposite view. And to to a large extent that is that is what happens. I mean, most people who divorce did fall in love. I'm not against falling in love. I think it's an it's, a, it's an aspect of choosing a spouse that is important. It's not the only important, but it is. Back momentarily. I'm Dennis Prager. This is the male-female hour and the paralyzing notion, maybe there's somebody better. Fear of missing out. And what was the BBD? Big better, was it? Bigger, better deal. Yeah. All right. You got some interesting. Uh, oh, man. This is the, the calls are awesome. Just awesome. Wichita Falls, Texas. Tony, the famous Tony of Wichita Falls. Hello. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, my story begins about 30 years ago back before we had internet and all these acronyms and everything. I think that the, the saying that got me in trouble was there's plenty of fish in the sea. Oh, it's another one. Was, yeah. yeah that's, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, I, I grew up in a, in my early twenties, I was in a college town in Texas, Denton, Texas, where the girlfriends were plentiful and I got very cynical. You know, I, I, uh, I got annoyed. I think they talk too much. They gripe too much, this, that, and the other. And, uh, but now, you know, so I just kept trading up, or I thought I was in my mind. You know, I'm, she's annoying me, so I'm going to go by to someone else. But later in life, you know, you start looking back on these girls, and you have, well, she really treated me well. I should have been nice to her. I should have listened to her. That's I should right. have reassured her. That's you, right. You know, and I've got all my, you know, I've got a bunch of friends that got married in their early 20s, and I'm jealous of them now. They've got beautiful families. And, yeah. And households that they're well, you know what? I really thank you for calling. That 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 you did a service to a lot of people. Here's a guy. That's right. Maybe I got to remember that one. There's a lot of fish in the sea. God, is that true? By the way, it's a great analogy because it would imagine the stupidity. Let's say you are fishing for dinner, okay? And you, you catch a halibut. And you think, you know what, maybe there's a better halibut out there because there's so many halibut out there. But if you're really waiting for the best halibut, you won't have dinner. It's actually, I like the analogy because if I use it, it makes the point clear. Do you want to make a marriage with a person? That's the question. Not did I find the best possible. B 
because that's not knowable. It's a stupid question. And by the way, as I said earlier, it may well be that after some time, you do have the best possible. That's how I feel. But if you're looking for the best, which has no meaning in any event, as I said, you won't get married. And you might even find the person, and then she will say, I'm looking for the best. Bye-bye. Or he will. Very, very important. Mark in Los Angeles. Hello. Yeah, hi. Hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say um, the um, the same type of thing, but um, in, I'm from Nebraska, and uh, most uh, you know, most of the girls there get married when they're like uh, 20 years old. And uh, I I dated a few, and uh, most of them most of them uh, didn't like come up to my level. I didn't think, and. Uh, I was in. I was a personal trainer and into fitness, and I studied medicine. And most of them were farm girls, didn't you know? And they weren't too worried about gaining weight and things like that. And and I figured, you know, I, I can find somebody better probably if I move to a bigger city or California or something. And then I ran into another problem where the girls are too materialistic, and they just want guys that make two hundred k a year. So. There's, there's two problems right there, <laughs> and uh, I, I dated the ones I dated in Nebraska. I tried to date the best looking girls I've seen, and uh, a lot of them were kind of flaky. And then, so there's always a problem. You can't be too picky, I guess, if you want to get married. That's right, because the key is you want to get married. That's that's, that's the point I'm making. That's why this notion, if the right guy comes along, is is a self-defeating, foolish notion. Do you want to get married? I ask a 25-year-old woman. Oh, you know. Yeah, if the right guy comes, same 25-year-old man. Yeah, if the right uh, woman, right girl comes. Got to want to get married. Then you make a life. How do you know it's the best when you marry anyway? How do you know? There's no way of knowing, so the question is absurd. All right, let's see. Anne in Erie, Pennsylvania. How you doing, Anne of Erie? Hi, Dennis. I believe everything you say except I disagree with you 98% about this Internet dating. If you have your wife go on with a fake name, on any of the sites, and I'll be happy to stay on and talk to your screener of which ones they are. She's going to find men that are on oxygen taking pictures with their wife beater shirt in the bathroom. Every guy I have ever met, overweight, bald, just slovenly. Now, I look like a 20-year-old physically, and I'm not shallow, but I'm not going to take good care of myself and end up with somebody that is in worse shape than my dad that I took care of because I don't need to bury another person. Um, the guys will like you if you just want to sit home and watch football. If you have any kind of cultural hobbies, they're not interested. So um, go on a website 
and uh, see what happens. Well, actually, I know single women of, of various ages, and they have shown me some of the pictures, and it is depressing. I agree. So you you rule those out. There are a lot of impressive men and women who met through Hinge or Bumble or even Tinder. We'll be back in a moment. I say hi. I say hi. I never, I never sing along with the Beatles. It's odd that I did that. All right. Great subject. You should do it again. This is your calls are awesome. About uh, maybe there's somebody better out there and therefore doing nothing. Uh, Matt San Antonio, hello. Matt in San Antonio, hello. Are we hooked up, uh, Sean? Is everything good? Uh, too bad. So let me summarize what he said. No, no. Can you hear me now? Ooh. I'm so sorry. Can you hear me now? Okay. You you owe me a cigar. I'll be I'll be super fast. I promise. I love cigars. Like, uh, <laughs> I first of all, you saved my life in 2006. Pain is pain is a purpose, but uh, uh, miserable being miserable is a choice. Something to that effect. Yeah, pain it, pain pain is a given. And uh, and how you deal with it is your choice. That's right. Being miserable. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. Thank yeah. you for telling me that. But go ahead on this subject. Me and a friend changed my life forever. Uh, but but anyway, uh, yes, I married a woman uh, that um, um, just just preface, and I'll be super fast. Uh, I was a rock and roll drummer, super famous and popular, and I met a woman who had a small jaw. She was born, she, like, she's in medical books. She's got such an interesting look. But I just found her so unique and she and, and, and so caring and interesting and obviously humble because of her life and what she had to go through in, in a small Texas town, being born that way and whatnot and going through surgeries and et cetera. To where I had friends, you know, male friends saying, oh, but bro, he can't, you know, like, are you sure you really want to go through with this? And, 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 and I was like, no, I really like her. And, uh, long story short, uh, we celebrated our 10 year anniversary this August and I love her terribly. And she does, she has a very unique look and she has a, 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 hmm. a speech impediment. Impediment. Well, it's a very moving story. It is. I thank you. Valerie, Jim, Conrad, Pierre, Tom, and Payam. I so wish I could have taken your calls. It's a bad idea. Maybe there's somebody better. Hi everybody, Dennis Prager here, and it is a an interesting 
slice of media, how many intellectuals, in the best sense of the word, work uh, in media and are known best for their media work, obviously, because it reaches so many people. I mean, how many people know I've written as many books as I have and four out of five volume commentary on the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Brian Kilmeade is so well known for his work on Fox News. And the man has written, let's see, what is it now? Eight books? Yeah, this is his eighth book. He's a, he's a serious thinker and a, a great man in the media. And I've been on the show a number of times, and I've loved it. He has a new book on a subject I knew nothing about. <laughs> you realize I'm speaking to somebody who has written a book on something I know nothing about? I mean, I'm not talking a book about particle physics, about which I know nothing. So, <laughs> Brian... <laughs> It's an impressive achievement. It's Teddy and Booker T. How two American icons blazed the path for racial equality. I, I mean, Brian, first of all, how did you come to know about Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington? On Long Island, uh, Dennis, thanks for having me on. And I always love talking to you, too. Especially I, the first talk radio show, you and Bob Grant were the first two I ever listened to. Wow. Uh, probably. Wow. But you didn't yell at your callers like he did. <laughs> That's right. That's true. <laughs> right. But with Teddy Roosevelt, you grew up in Long Island. You know about Teddy Roosevelt. In fact, you're surprised there are other presidents. Sagamore Hill was a trip for every kid they would go to. Uh, that's where his uh, home is. And I, went, I was trying to figure out what to do after Sam Houston, the Alabama Avengers, because I'm about to go to the Civil War, the most written about hit war in America. And I go, what, what could I bring new to that? And while I'm reading, I read Up From Slavery, which was the autobiography of Booker T. Washington. And he describes how at nine years old, he was brought to the plantation house and a Union soldier read what he now believes was the Emancipation Proclamation. He says, you're free. His mom grabs him and starts crying. He's held with joys and tears, him and his brother. They go back to their, their room without, uh, they, without a floor, without any windows and think, what do we do now? They never knew his dad, never knew his birthday. He wants to start a life. He played with the other white kids but couldn't go to school. And how does he start? What does he do? Well, she gets her future husband, Wash Ferguson. They get, a, uh, uh, they, get a, they get their carriage together, and they go to West Virginia, and he's got to work in the salt mines. But in his head, he's got to get an education. He's got to learn to read and write. He wanted more out of life. He had this drive, and he wanted to get out of the salt mines, but they needed the money. And finally, he convinced his mom, if I go to one class and find out just one, if I just learn the alphabet. And his mom goes, I got you a dictionary. And he would just try to memorize the dictionary. And then he saw one and an eight. That was the number of, that was the bucket he had to fill up with salt. And that would be, later we'd find out 18. He couldn't believe those were first numbers. And then he takes you to becoming one of the most important men in American educational history, who was as well known in Europe and England as he was here. And I read this story and my jaw was on the ground. And then the more you read, the more you see Teddy Roosevelt in it. And I went to Tweed Roosevelt, the great grandson of Teddy, who's a historian himself and knew Teddy's wife, Edith, because she outlived him by decades. And I go, am I overstepping to think these guys were special and this is not plowed ground? He goes, pretty much. 
yeah, Petty had blind spots, but he worked with this black guy 50 years out of slavery in order to move America forward through the Jim Crow South. So I, I got to tell this story uh, in the most, the most, the quickest, most concise way possible to let people know how far we've come with race relations in America and how much we owe to unlikely people like Booker T. Washington. And I would even say Teddy Roosevelt for, for making it happen. So you came to this through your interest in Booker T. Washington. Absolutely. Because you kept seeing references to Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. What a fascinating... That's why I'm glad I asked the question, because who, who would who would think of this? By the way, when you describe Booker T. Washington, I just finished a couple of months ago the long, phenomenal autobiography of Frederick Douglass, uh, which... I believe should be required reading. If one Absolutely. reads one book about slavery, the Civil War, etc., it should be, I think, Frederick Douglass's autobiography, uh, and it is so well written. By the way, the same drive to learn animated Douglass as Washington. Some people are born with it, and apparently. Uh, even if you're born with it, it's somewhat knocked out by the American educational system today. <laughs> the drive. Yeah, yes, the free market. Exactly. The, the, it, it does seem to squash intellectual curiosity. Okay, so uh, was this friendship of long standing? I wouldn't say so. I, I would say this. So Booker T. Washington is making his way up in life. And Teddy Roosevelt, just to give you a qualification, yes, I know the Roosevelts had money for seven generations. I get it. But how many kids got asthma and had intestinal problems that kept them from leaving the house? How many kids never went to formal schooling because they were afraid he was going to die? And when you have asthma, can you imagine being in 1870, 1860, 1860, uh, 1869, 1871, and you watch your kid lose his breath? They They lived in fear that he would die. And he was about 80 pounds, been beat up every time he went outside. His first formal schooling was Harvard. And then he overcompensated because he said, his dad said to him, you got a great mind, you got a bad body, you got to build it up. And he did. And I fundamentally think after reading everything that he wrote and other people wrote almost, that he felt like a blue collar guy in a white collar world because Mm. he felt as though he had to fight to survive the rest of his life to make a difference. In my humble opinion, he felt as though he couldn't waste a day because he didn't know when, you know, when you can't breathe and people around you tell you you're going to die, I think it changes you. And when they met each other, and we found a letter, Dennis, from Teddy to Booker T. I just read up from slavery. You're basically, I am so motivated to meet a self-made man like you. When can we meet? Uh, my, me and my wife were motivated by your story. Let's meet, and they met. Why was Te- Why was Teddy Roosevelt's political position then? Was he president? What was he when he when vice he wrote president. this? He was vice president. McKinley. McKinley was president. Right. So, okay. Now, so this is later in life that he that yeah. he that they developed. So he read the book, which, by the way, is a credit to Roosevelt. I have big problems with Teddy because uh, he he gave the presidency to Woodrow Wilson. So don't start me. I I I think that's unforgivable. But he obviously was an impressive man in many ways. So the fact that he read Booker T. Washington's autobiography and then reached out to him is impressive. He was probably the first speed reader. He read a couple of books a day. 
I mean, he read the he read the definitive book, book on the War of eighteen twelve, naval operations that they said they still look back on the Navy today. And he wrote it in college and then updated it, made it more readable. But when he, when he read it, he loved self made men. He loved people that just overcame things. Also, his mom was uh, from the South. Her two brothers fought for the Confederacy, so he had and you know he he was born and the Civil War was going on. There's a shot we have in the special we have on Fox Nation of six-year-old Teddy Roosevelt looking out the window as Abraham Lincoln's body comes down Broadway. And I go to the same exact spot. We look up and we see that floor. And then you see Broadway. It looks a little bit different. Uh, A lot more people, a lot more skateboarders and electric bikes than there was in Roosevelt's day. But you see, he said at that moment, he remembers that moment. Lincoln was always the person he looked up to most. And that was his first time. And Frederick Douglass... Uh, went to Tuskegee and spoke, and he was he was a hero to Booker T. Washington. And I wrote the President of Freedom Fighter, you were kind enough to have me on for that, how they worked together to move America forward. And they knew of each other. They finally came together at exactly the right time. And the biggest, I think, the person who did the most damage to American history uh, is to America, period, is John Wilkes Booth. Because I believe if if you had Lincoln for eight years and maybe 12, in the 1860s, we might not have needed the 1960s because he knew it had to be done after this war ended. And unfortunately, Andrew Johnson was not a partner. Ulysses S. Grant was. But unfortunately, the Compromise of 1877 led to the segregation in Jim Crow we had to overcome for decades later. And that's where Booker T. Washington grew up. He never hated people. He said, my self-esteem was not for sale. And if you hated him because of the color of his skin, that's fine. I'm going to work with the people that don't. And I'm going to make it better for the most people possible, not by making myself famous, but through education. And you're not going to just learn the book. All right, let me, let me restate. The book is up at DennisPrager.com, Teddy and Booker T. Back in a moment. A man who does not put you to sleep is Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> I'm glad you left. <laughs> like transition. I love it. Yeah. You know, I'm talking to such a pro, I forget. It's it's such a joy. It's like, you know, two ball players talking the sport to each other. Right. You you picked up on good transition. <laughs> right, because we don't we work without a script. That's right. Exactly. Right. Brian Kilby is uh one of these uh extremely popular with the public through Fox News and and a serious thinker. This is a very interesting book, and it's an example of why I think, Brian, the I believe truly the most important subject people can study is history. And, and the, the ignorance of it is, the, is at the root of our crisis. Do you know 45% of young people never heard of Auschwitz? I did not hear that stat before. Yeah. And and I'll bet 95 have never heard of Gulag. How do, you, how do you know anything about the 20th century if you don't know about Auschwitz and Gulag? Hey, Dennis, how many of those people that have been, been protesting in the streets, 100,000 in D.C. on Sunday, thousands in front of the uh, uh, McDonnell Douglas and all these uh, defense manufacturers, how many people are those protesters for Palestine, for the Palestine that doesn't exist? For the Palestinians, know anything about that or believe that the Holocaust happened. 
You know, this is the problem. A lot of them, a lot of them don't believe that October seventh happened. I know. <laughs> uh, listen, I know. And, and my, <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, October seventh, the BBC. You had a guy in the BBC who's running Hamas, one of the political wing. With, I guess they're the good guys, the political wing. They said that no civilians were killed on October seventh. Right. Don't believe it. Don't, right. Okay. Don't believe what they don't, in, don't believe. And what Israel in much said. of the Muslim world, that is that is what is believed that it's just all made up by the West. You know your stuff. This, by the way, I didn't get a chance because I didn't want to interrupt you. You threw out a thought that gave me the chills. The most destructive man in American history was John Wilkes Booth. Do you know I? The second you said it, I agreed with you. And I had never put that into words like you formulated it. It would be fascinating to ask people, who do you think did the most damage to America in its history? And I... I, I, I probably vote- say Bin Laden. They probably say Bin Laden. They probably, you know... I well, even, know. no, what American? Even yeah. what American? Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe say people will say Benedict Arnold. I, I don't know. People who gave uh, Stalin the nuclear bomb uh, secrets. But you're right. It is John Wilkes Booth. Had Lincoln lived, you you made a – you're really good because you said another mm-hmm. great line because then we the, if we have had him in the 1860s, we wouldn't have had the 1960s. I, I listened to you very carefully. Well, thank you. I, and for, for someone like you that, that that writes the books that you do and it does the shows you do, that's truly an honor. But like I sit there sometimes when you read about slavery and you read about Lincoln and you see what he intended to do, if you really care, the frustration gets so great, you almost have to walk away because you think about what could have been if these two guys worked together uh, after the inauguration. And think about this. After Lincoln's second inauguration, do you know everybody, you know all this. He was, everybody was so disappointed because they wanted to hear about, we won the war. Now we're going to do things our way. And Lincoln's like, no, we're about coming together, we're about healing. Now the hard part begins. And it was short and it was right to the point. And that's exactly what Frederick Douglass said. He should have been bitter. He, these people enslaved me in the South. I had to escape. If I got arrested, I would have spent my life in jail or been, been killed. I was a fugitive. Instead, he's like, we're all about reconciliation, coming back together. That's the only thing they put our shit back together. And when he looked at D- Douglas and they met each other, and Douglas wrote this down, uh, if you saw and you read the biography, he looked at Douglas had to sneak back into the White House because he was invited. No one believed the black man was invited to the inaugural ball back at the White House. He goes, my friend Douglas, what did you think of the speech? Mm-hmm. And Douglas said, Mr. President, you got a room full of people. Don't, don't worry about my opinion. He said, Mr. Douglas, there's nobody else who's more important. What did you think of the speech? And mm. he said, it was a sacred effort. Mm. He goes, it was a sacred effort because he knew the big picture. You put those two guys working together? Let me tell you about the black community. Let me tell you what we need in the South. Let me tell you what we need in the North. You put those guys together working together with Ulysses S. Grant, now that we know the goodness in that man, it would it, we, we knew the South was going to be tough. I'm not saying there wouldn't have been a KKK. I'm not saying there would have been, wouldn't have been people saying, I'm not going to buy into this equality thing. But I'm telling you, Lincoln wouldn't have allowed it. He would have enforced it. And he wouldn't have worried about his political fortunes in his second term, knowing that Grant was there for the third. And we wouldn't have had Johnson. 
Well, he should never have had Johnson as his VP. Right. That, that was a he tragedy. Didn't know him. That was a tragedy. You you know your stuff. You're a joy. I love your passion because these are things worth getting passionate about. So, the, Booker T. Washington and Teddy Roosevelt. What did they, in a nutshell, accomplish? A couple of things. Teddy Roosevelt, he's famous for the, inviting Booker T. Washington over for dinner. And he said, you know, after he wrote him a letter, sorry, I can't make that visit to Tuskegee. I became president. McKinley died. It's almost like a funny letter. So they had, he had promised to visit. So that's all. So when, when Washington hears of Booker T. when Roosevelt hears of Booker T. Washington's in Washington, he sends a, a courier over. He says, can you come over for dinner? It's wow. a nice idea. I want you to be my advisor. That sounds great. He had a slight hesitation, but Washington shows up and he eats dinner with Roosevelt's family. And at the end, they return to the study and they talk about all the things they're going to do with each other. And then one person looks at the guest book and says, Booker T. Washington at dinner with the president's family. Then ends up being a national scandal, not so much in the North, but in the South. You diminished, you hurt the you hurt the white race, you hurt black and white relations. Booker T. Washington had to always worry about Tuskegee and didn't want any crazy KKK burning the place down. They had to take a step back and lower their profile. But he would he would utilize Booker T. Washington for nominations. So he would use him for judges, for the postmasters. The dock masters was a prestigious position back then. And he at one point says, don't give me, don't tell, don't give me the person because of their race All right. or their gender. Brian, me the let me tell man. everybody, it's, the book is Teddy and Booker T. It's terrific. Brian, I salute you, my friend. It's an honor being on, Dennis. Thanks so much. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of Pragertopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at Pragertopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.